0: Welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast where we talk about coffee, coffee news, coffee brew methods, really anything coffee. Today we're talking about sourcing coffee with direct trade and fair trade. So I'd actually like to start with a brief clip that PBS released comparing and contrasting these two different ways of sourcing.
1: When you buy food, you're buying more than what's in the can. You're buying values. The values of the person who grows your food, the values of the person who transports it, and the values of the person who sells it to you. As a consumer, you have values too. They're reflected in everything you choose to eat. You can buy organic food that's been certified by the USDA and even organic flowers. But organic certification doesn't tell you everything you need to know. It doesn't tell you about the working conditions of farm laborers. Or if growers are paid a fair price for their goods. Or even if these growers are responsible stewards of their lands, ensuring their use by future generations. That's where fair trade comes in. This global organization works with farmer cooperatives to establish guaranteed price minimums. These protect farmers from price fluctuations in the marketplace. When their goods are sold at higher prices, a portion from these sales is set aside as a premium. Farming cooperatives use these for a variety of community improvements, like a new schoolhouse for their children or an ambulance to support a local hospital. Some food producers establish relationships directly with growers. Direct trade, unlike fair trade, is not a form of certification. Instead, it focuses on specific values important to a single company. For example, coffee roasters in Eugene, Oregon use beans from growers thousands of miles away, beans they buy based on values that are important to them like protecting rainforests. So just by buying a cup of coffee, you're also supporting a set of values. Fair trade and direct trade, two different ways to become more educated and engaged about the food you eat.
0: Episode 5 of the Boise Coffee Podcast. Today we're talking about fair trade and direct trade coffee. And it's actually something I've wanted to talk about for a while, but haven't gotten the chance to write an article or a review about anything in regards to fair trade or direct trade. And uh, so I, I wanted to do this podcast and I wanted to talk about some of the benefits, compare and contrast, because I think in the minds of a lot of consumers, when you see the fair trade label, whether it's on coffee or it's on any crops really that come from poorer nations, um, there's a tendency to sort of just wave your hand and say, Oh, I'm, I'm sure that they're doing the right thing and that these farmers are, are getting the money that they deserve. You may not even know what fair trade is, and that's okay too. My hope for this episode of the Boise Coffee Podcast is to inform and also to give you my opinion on what fair trade does right, what it does wrong, and how we can fix it with direct trade and how it's actually being fixed by a lot of big third wave coffee companies and, uh, and some of the lessons that maybe some smaller coffee companies can learn. going to start with the face of fair trade, which is FLO. That stands for Fair Trade Labeling Organizations International. And from their website, this is what they say, introducing fair trade. Fair trade is an alternative approach to conventional trade and is based on a partnership between producers and consumers. When farmers can sell on fair trade terms, it provides them with a better deal and improved terms of trade. This allows them the opportunity to improve their lives and plan for their future. Fairtrade offers consumers a powerful way to reduce poverty through their everyday shopping. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, perhaps the best place to start is with FLO's history. They started in 1997, and really they arose out of a need to eliminate the ebb and flow that's sort of inherent to coffee prices. The supply is constantly shifting with coffee, and that's because coffee is extremely sensitive to temperature fluctuations and growing conditions. So the first fair trade agreement came in the 1940s, and that was actually because of wartime and the instability that made European markets uh, unable to be accessible to South American coffee growers. So fair trade sort of arose out of this need to secure coffee, so that when supply is down and when coffee it's hard to grow coffee because of, well, in the case of the 40s, because of wars or even just because of things like storms, really bad temperature things happening, or just coffee in general not not having a good year like a lot of crops do, It's to secure it so that coffee prices don't have incredible fluctuations and the market is somewhat stable. That way we can always go down to a coffee shop and buy a cup of coffee for around the same price regardless of what's going on with the growers that year in coffee. So maybe the first question to ask when we're talking about this is why is coffee such a big deal? So this is actually the the Stanford Social Innovative Review, the economics section, and specifically economist Colleen Haidt in the summer of 2011 answered this question uh, in her article about fair trade. And this is what she said. She said, coffee is the second most valuable commodity exported from developing countries, petroleum being the first. For many of the world's least developed countries like Honduras, Ethiopia, and Guatemala, Coffee exports make up an enormous share of the expert earnings, comprising in some cases more than 50% of foreign exchange earnings. In addition, many of the coffee growers are small and their businesses are financially marginal. Coffee is a big deal because in a lot of nations, coffee is one of the main, if not the main, crops being grown and sold. So when we're talking about on an international level, what are the crops that are most important to a lot of countries, the answer to that is coffee. So talking about fair trade and direct trade, we kind of have to take our minds out of the United States market and go to the global market. We have to start looking at economics on a global scale. And I think this is why it's oftentimes not discussed on a day-to-day basis with Americans, because at the end of the day, it doesn't affect our daily lives. But it could, and that's why FLO came around in the first place, is so that price fluctuations would not have the impact on everyday consumer lives like they have in the past. It's nice and good to talk about fair trade in this philosophical, sort of nebulous sense, but what does it look like on the ground level? What what does it actually mean? So the idea behind fair trade is to create a price floor. And this isn't unique to coffee. This is an economics term. And what that means is that regardless of growing conditions and regardless of the market price for coffee, coffee companies that buy coffee from growers or from these grower cooperatives that fair trade necessitates, it mandates that these consumers or that these buyers have to pay at least $1.40 per pound of green coffee beans. That is the price floor. So even if coffee has a really bad year and usually the market price for coffee would would skyrocket, it's actually going to be $1.40 per pound. So this comes with some stipulations, of course. Now, if the market price is above fair trade, then not only do these I'm, – I'm just going to call them coffee buyers from now on, but that could, that could be comprised of coffee shops, roasters, cafes, places in the United States that buy a lot of green coffee beans and then sell them to coffee growers' cafes. I'm just going to call them all coffee buyers. One of the stipulations is that these coffee buyers, on top of the price per pound that they would buy a coffee for, also have to pay – A 20 cent fair trade premium and this premium is supposed to go towards community development for farmers. That could look like as the clip said ambulances, schools, that sort of stuff. In addition fair trade certification it comes with a fee that farmers have to pay in order to be considered a part of a coffee cooperative and then they also have to use certain pesticides and they have to ensure certain standards for working conditions and labor wages. They have to pay a fair wage to their employees as well. So on the surface, fair trade looks like a great idea, and I would actually venture to say that it is a really good idea, and that the heart behind fair trade is in the right place. However, whenever you tamper and play with economics, there are a lot of unforeseen consequences. And so in this podcast, I want to talk about a few of those big ones. I pulled these consequences from a variety of sources that I'm going to put in the notes and on the post for this podcast. So if you want to learn more about some of the consequences having to do with fair trade, please take a look at those and feel free to do some of your own research on this stuff because when you actually start digging down, it gets really, really interesting. So the first consequence that I want to talk about is that over time, the system, the fair trade system doesn't actually seem to work. So research done at UC Berkeley and UC San Diego Research done on the economic benefits of fair trade, specifically in Guatemala over 13 years, shows that over time, the price growers have to pay for fair trade certification offsets the economic benefits to being certified fair trade. So basically, there is no net economic benefit to being certified in the long term. So coffee growers have to pay a certain amount to be fair trade certified, and depending on the market price fluctuations what UC Berkeley UC San Diego found out is that this price that they have to pay is actually offset and so they really are they're playing in a zero sum game the second consequence and i've titled this one who watches the watchmen while flo flow says that the 20 cent premium paid to farmers over the world market price uh, for coffee is for social and economic investments at the community and organizational level, like we talked about, the ambulances and the schools and that sort of stuff, there's actually very, very little oversight as to how this money is actually spent. So the same economist I was talking about earlier, Colleen Height, for the Stanford Social Innovative Review, says that when you take a look at where these funds are spent, largely they go towards buildings and salaries for the coffee cooperatives rather than towards the lasting local investments like schools. So as I was doing research on this, uh, what I saw was that there's, fair trade doesn't really provide a positive impact on local education and community building, and this would suggest why. It's because these coffee growers are incentivized to basically make their coffee growing operations better rather than providing for their community. So when they're, when they're paid per pound of coffee, the incentive then is to produce more coffee. So what are they going to spend these premiums on? They're going to spend them on ways to make and produce more coffee in order to make more money. And that actually goes into this third consequence, which consequence number three that I want to talk about is that fair trade incentivizes more coffee production and not actually helping the poor. So the lack of oversight that we kind of already discussed focuses on more coffee production, like I said, and that's due to paying farmers by the pound of coffee, means that the incentive is for farmers and communities to up coffee production. So like I said, fair trade is supposedly supposed to help build communities and enrich people um, from these poor coffee-producing nations. But the problem is that all the incentives lay in growing and selling coffee rather than areas that will produce lasting change, like the schools and the hospitals and that kind of stuff, especially when we're talking about education. So what's a way that we can fix this incentive? Well, rather than incentivizing more coffee production – we can actually disincentivize that. This, by incentivizing a lower coffee production, and this is really counterintuitive, but bear with me, incentivizing lower coffee production or selling less coffee is actually gonna raise the price of coffee worldwide, which is going to benefit other farmers. They're gonna be getting paid more for their coffee production. One way we can do that is by focusing on bettering education so that the children of these coffee farmers get better jobs, are able to get out of the coffee growing business, which then is going to raise the price of coffee. And it's overall going to help coffee farms worldwide. I'm not saying that this is without its own externalities. It is. But that is one way that you can change the incentive from coffee production. Now, of course, when we're talking about raising the price of coffee, you have to realize that this price of coffee isn't just going to raise and sort of everything's going to stay the same. No, it's ultimately going to have to come out of either the businesses like Starbucks pockets or it's going to have to come out of the consumer's pockets. And if Starbucks has their way, it's always going to come out of our pockets. So you're going to end up paying more for coffee. And this goes into consequence number four. The restrictions that fair trade certification places on coffee farmers actually results in poorer farmers. And this is because of the costs associated with being certified fair trade like we talked about in consequence number one but also it's because of the inputs that they have to pay for things like fertilizers and pesticides that comes with being fair trade certified that comes out of the farmers pockets not out of the pockets of the of the cooperatives or out of our pockets the farmers have to pay for those fertilizers and pesticides so although the those inputs are actually better for the environment right using proper fertilizers and uh, making sure that coffee is protected against pests That's important for the environment, but in the end, it's focusing on the costs being taken out of the pockets of the coffee farmers rather than those buying coffee. If we as consumers really care about the environment, and if that's something that we kind of uphold as being something major that we want to see taken care of, then we have to be prepared to pay more for our coffee in order to offset these demands placed on farmers from impoverished nations. This money isn't going to come out of thin air, and if we want to help out coffee farmers in the long term, we need to be prepared to put our money where our mouth is at the end of the day. Okay, so where does this leave us? So my analysis is that although flow is aimed at a great goal, they're actually hurting everyone along the way. These farmers end up playing the zero-sum game that I talked about earlier where they have to pay more to produce coffee that they may or may not be selling at market price, depending on the season. And as a result of these coffee cooperatives and flow playing the middleman, we as consumers remain blind to the situation that coffee growers find themselves in every day. And because we trust that fair trade label that we see on coffee, all of us, Are sort of at fault for letting this go as far as it has been so coffee buyers roasters shops they're also stuck in a weird place because if they don't support fair trade right now they run the risk of not getting consumer support because it looks bad but if they do support fair trade then they may end up adding to the problem and sort of the cycle continues right so what is the solution to all this well in my mind that solution is where direct trade comes in direct trade as the PBS clip sort of laid out is in a way the antithesis and in a way sort of overlaps in a Venn diagram sort of way with fair trade and how it's similar is that it focuses on the farmers and it focuses on making sure that they get paid a fair wage. But instead of doing this artificially with a price floor, it emphasizes relationships and a personal responsibility between the coffee buyer and, as in the cafe or the coffee shop, and the coffee grower. Direct trade is not perfect. It's not the end-all be-all, but what it does do is it cuts flow out as the middleman, and it makes it so that these coffee buyers have to develop a relationship, a personal relationship with their farmers. And they do this in order to determine the best way to support these poor communities that they purchase the coffee from. So it, it puts more emphasis on these personal relationships, but Because of that, they're going to know whether these communities need schools, need better education, whether they need a better hospital situation, whatever it is, because they're going to know the coffee growers. The emphasis gets put on the buyers more, so they have to do a little bit more work. And ultimately, they have to be the ones who determine, between them and the farmers, what a fair price is for the labor expended to grow the beans. So like I said, this isn't necessarily the perfect solution. But there are a few coffee companies that have proven that it actually works really well. And we call these the big three of specialty coffee. That's Intelligentsia, Stumptown, and Counterculture Coffee. They all have developed their own methods to participate in direct trade coffee. And the fact is is that it works pretty dang well. So I'm going to actually read to you what Intelligentsia says on their website about their method of direct trade coffee. And you can kind of compare that to what Fairtrade said. So this is what Intelligentsia Coffee says in their mission. They say, Intelligentsia Coffee's buying philosophy is not very complicated. We believe in coffee quality and have made a commitment to our customers to offer only truly dazzling specialty coffees that speak for themselves in the cup. We believe that to get such coffees we need to work closely with actual producers not just importers or experts so that we can build great coffees from the very start intelligentsia travels to our coffee source each of the 12 months of the year we visit farms roll up our sleeves and get to it we take 24-hour red-eye flights and 10-hour high-altitude pickup rides over serpentine roads you pick up our coffee and we shake hand of a farmer in Peru, or Rwanda, or Guatemala, and when you see the Intelligentsia Direct Trade logo on your bag, you know how much effort is invested in each bean. So in the broadest terms, these coffees should be understood as a true collaboration, with both sides investing a great deal of time, energy, and ideas to produce something great. At the end of this process, the coffee farmer who grows an award-winning cup is an artisan, and should be regarded as such. We believe human effort is the most critical factor in quality coffee and that the growers who do the best work should get the best price and individual recognition this stands in stark contrast to what we were talking about with fair trade direct trade coffee isn't about just money and it's not about just paying farmers good wages it's about getting the best beans and incentivizing quality while at the same time making sure that the farmers who produce these quality beans are paid exactly what they should be for those beans. And it also means that it frees up coffee buyers to bless these farmers and through these personal relationships to recognize what they need in order to be better and in order for their communities to be better. It's not just about the coffee and it's not just about the price. It's about the farmers and it's about the consumers and it's about the humans. So, and so in my mind that's what sets direct trade really apart from fair trade. Fair trade is a great idea, it has a great heart behind it, but the method falls flat on its face. And honestly if anybody says otherwise I would say that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. So you look at the results of fair trade coffee and what do we see? We see a muddled mess. It's run amuck for too long, the better part of the last two decades, And it really isn't producing the type of communities and the type of coffee that anybody needs. My challenge to you is to support direct trade businesses. Businesses who deal directly with farmers and who are really focused on the quality of the cup as well as the quality of living for these farmers. They should be the ones getting your money. Fair trade is not that great. It produces great articles and great sound bites, but the result of it... Really isn't that impressive. Direct Trade, on the other hand, as we've seen with these these specialty coffee shops that I mentioned earlier, Intelligentsia and Stumptown, Counterculture, the result is amazing coffee and communities that are built up. And that's the Boise Coffee Podcast for this week. I'm your host, Colin Mansfield. If you want to check out more or listen to the earlier episodes, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. You can hit up the blog, boisecoffee.org, check out our Facebook page, or hit me up on Twitter, at Boise Coffee. I look forward to continuing the discussion there. Additionally, I've got a book coming out later this summer, so if you want to find out more, go to the blog, boisecoffee.org, click the book tab, and sign up for updates And uh, I'll even send you a discount when the book launches. Thank you once again, and I will see you next week. music this week was by Chris Zabriskie, and the funny clip you're about to hear is from the Rhett and Link YouTube channel, so if you want to see the rest of their videos, check them out there. Thanks again.
2: Here you go. Thanks. Have a good day. Hey guys, what can I get for ya? Uh, I'd like to get a large half-calf, scalded almond milk latte, four pumps vanilla, one pump cinnamon with an extra half shot, sweetened with agave nectar at 167 degrees with room for cream.
1: Okay, I'm for you? Uh,
2: I'll take the same thing, but add a little reduced-fat white chocolate drizzle to mine. And to mine as well.
1: Two large half-calf scalded almond milk lattes, four pumps vanilla, one pump cinnamon, an extra half shot, sweetened with agave nectar at 167 degrees with room for cream, and reduced fat white chocolate drizzle.
2: You know what? I think I just wanna add some grapefruit honey yogurt scone shavings. Uh, I'll take some of those too, but I'll also add two and a quarter tablespoons of a drink that somebody returned because their name was misspelled.
1: Okay.
2: What's your soup of the day? Broccoli cheddar. I'd like some raspberry lemon vinaigrette dressing. On the side. Love it. Shun it. Bop it. Sneeze into it. How about that guy's glass eye? Can you put an ad on Craigslist for the room you left for cream? Three seconds of sunshine albino dolphin urine, dragon tears, and all the money from the register.
0: I'll just take a water.